This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, what were you saying? I haven't told you about my new wearable that I just got. An aura ring. I don't know what that is. You don't know what the aura ring is? I'm not even sure what you just said. Did you say aura? Aura ring. O-U-R-A ring. I have heard of IoT rings. This, however, I have not seen before. I have seen rings. They were like basically Bluetooth data storage where you could transfer data into it and then transfer data out. You could do a few different things with it. But I have never seen this before. So, ah, you are on the technological advantage of this conversation. Do tell me about the Aura Ring. It's a sleep tracking ring. And this is the Generation 2. So it actually is much more of a ring form factor. Mm -hmm. So it's got a few sensors on the inside. And it'll track things like, it's kind of like Fitbit sleep data, but on steroids. It's got a much better sensing system to it. It can also track heart rate variability, a whole bunch of data. And I've only had it for two sleeps. And it'll really start to be much more powerful as far as sleep data as I have it longer. I've had lots of sleep issues in the last few years. So I try to do things to help improve my sleep. This is probably one of the better consumer level tools for quantifying the data. Mm -hmm. And I'm very excited to have it. That's cool, man. Can't offer a whole lot of critique, but I understand the technology. It's the same kind of technology that they have baked into, like the Apple Watch, for example, has a lot of new tech, particularly the most recent watch that came out. Yes, with EKG in it. Well, yeah, I don't think they've released the software yet for the EKG, although you can definitely at some point will be able to. I don't think you can do it yet. I think that was one of those things that would be available in a future update i don't know if i want to be walking around with an ekg on my wrist why not because like i don't know i i just don't know i don't know what, what are, I'm, I'm i don't know <laughs> if i'd use it if i ever had that version of the watch i've got that version of the watch so uh, i'm curious to use it when it happens when it when it when the software is ready if the hardware is ready they're just finessing the software it's interesting that the ring's working for you though and that's that's super cool as well there's a lot of apps right now that are connected to any number of devices there that are specific to sleeping because you know when you're moving around in your sleep that kind of indicates a degree of activity versus you know when you're not moving and that that indicates a sort of level of sleep that you're in so i've i've used that to test a few different things uh one just to see how my sleep is in general whether or not i got decent sleep on a particular night but also when I've tried using TDCS for sleep purposes and then to compare it against data pre- previously for just general sleeping, which is not not super scientific, but at least gives me an idea as to whether or not there's a difference. Like, did it, did it really help me? You may not be using the best tool to get the data, but using that same tool over a long period of time, that data relative to other data is going to be pretty telling. Yeah. It may not be exact and it's not going to be like doing one of those like sleep study things. But 
it'll give you a good idea. Yeah, yeah. If there's a difference and it's obvious, and it's, it's, if there's enough of a difference, it'll become obvious. and You'll go, okay, this made an impact in some way. So, yes, yeah, so you've got the Internet of Things sort of beginning to evolve and break out. And I think it's a technology that's really looking for a purpose to, you know, sort of integrate itself in. Another IoT device was Google Glasses. Yeah, that didn't really fly, did it? Well, the problem is that, first off, when you're recording, there's a little light on. So people who had, like, Google Glass, then they'd walk into a bar, people would get pissy. Like, people had issues with people wearing it because they knew that they could be recorded, that pictures could be taken, that conversations could be recorded. And this is kind of taking privacy to a completely different level. And this idea that you and I could have a conversation without being online, in person, and then I can say some shit to you, and I can kind of work out and refine what I'm saying with you. Even in us recording, there's a level of editing that happens that we both have a degree of control over. It doesn't come out perfect every single time we hit record? No, Lord, no. I mean, (laughs) it's perfect every time, but we never re-record. But this idea that you could possibly be in a public setting You could be sort of put in a situation where you're kind of vocally working out. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where where you said something, you instantly regretted it, and then you kind of made a note to self, that's not what I believe. I should not have said that. I don't know where that came from. There have definitely been times I wish I could roll back what I said. Well, yeah. And when something like that's recorded, that's the kind of shit that you could lose your job, that you could lose friends. When people focus around that one thing, without any reference to the past or what brought you to that place, you know, it can be a real hindrance. I mean, we've seen that kind of shit happen just on Twitter, for example, where people lose their jobs over a picture or a statement. And once it's out there, it's out there. Kids don't... something they say when they're allegedly on Ambien. Kids don't take pictures of yourself naked and stick it on the internet unless you want everyone to see it. That shit lasts forever. Yeah, don't even put it on your damn phone. Because, it, you know, once it's digital, it's in a very, very slippery place where it can be easily distributed if it got out in some way. And it always, always, always gets out. Oh, it always gets out. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll haunt you. 30 years later, it'll haunt you. It'll haunt you like, like a bad tattoo after a drunk night. And 30 pounds heavier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stretch that shit right out. Uh But, I mean, you get it, though. So the Internet of Things can be very cool. But the flip of that is that how can the data be used against you? And once the data is digitized, you know, how can that possibly be leveraged against you? And then one particular example is that if the insurance companies got a hold of this data and they recognize that you're not a good sleeper, well, that's another plot point for determining whether or not to charge you more from an insurance perspective. This guy has a sleep pattern that's in line with other sleep patterns that are indicative of future cancer or high-risk diabetes or any other number of risks. This is why I'm not doing one of those home DNA tests. I've done a home DNA test. Uh, You're screwed. Yeah, I'm fucked. I know. I know. Actually, mine was a gut bacteria test. Let me take that back. I really, it's like they said to you, here's all the stuff that's in your system and where it could possibly have come from and what it relates to. And I was like, I was really hoping that I would be able to look at that and go, ah, this is what I need to focus on dietarily. And I looked, I was like, this is a lot of data. And when I did research into it, I, I still came out with a lot of indecipherable data. But the gist is that once it's out there, people can use it to predict you. It becomes a predictable measure. And it, it can be used as a data point to be prejudiced against you. A lot of businesses are looking for data to be used in that sort of way. Another example of that is how data in mass is used to determine the prison sentence of people. And in fact, when hmm. when there, there are 
programs out there that you plug in the variables, you plug in the crime, you plug in the variables that will come back and tell you whether or not they should be on bail and, and you know what sentence they should get. And it makes it a lot easier for judges because they're like, I'm just using a national database based on their personal statistics, their race, their gender, any number of variables. What pops out tells me you know, what they should be sentenced for. That's an interesting idea. Now, not all judicial systems lean on this sort of thing. However, it's at the discretion of the judge. It's always at the discretion of the judge. However, it, it makes a recommendation. And this is something that we need to take into consideration because when you start to look at the data systems, it's not taking you as a person individually. It's lumping you in with people that, that it thinks are like you and then connect, making these connections that may or may not relate to you. And that's, that is the real problem, is that data trying to make connections between you and somebody else and then making a decision on you based on someone else. Credit is a perfect example of that as well. What if people with good credit slept a certain way and then this data could be used against you to lower your credit? Oh. Right. That's the way our system works when it tries to collect this kind of data is it tries to make connections and those connections aren't always accurate. So Internet of Things... He's putting on these these wearables that make his interactivity with the Oasis easier. And then he goes and purchases what? He goes to a Vendal machine or Vendal franchise and gets a bulletproof vest, a handgun, some ammo, and some mace. Yeah. <laughs> because apparently this is something you can get in a vending machine. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. I mean, granted, this is a dystopian universe, so the ability to get a firearm is easy. But at the same time, there are a couple points here. One is that he holds it in each of his hands so that it can kind of, it does sort of like a fingerprint for each one of his hands so he can switch it between his hands. So now the gun is registered and connected directly to him. There's also a 24-hour cooldown period which means that he can't just go buy a gun, go back to the bar and kill someone. Well, thank God he can't do that. Well, you know, that's that is the that's the point of the cooldown period is that, you know, you can't just go buy a gun and kill somebody that pissed you off. You know, it gives you 24 hours to cool down, it, which which I find kind of humorous. Yeah, it's because, you know, let's face it, if you get pissed once, you're going to go back to the bar. Somebody might piss you off again. There ain't no cooldown period for getting pissed off a second time when you've got a gun. Yeah, pretty much. It just meant that when you went and bought the gun, the first time. And it's not like the gun is a use one time situation. This is not like a disposable. It's not like you have a drug that's a cooldown drug. Like I had a hankering for aspirin. So I went and bought some aspirin, but I had a cooldown period before I could use the aspirin. That sounds dumb. Well, but wouldn't that suck? Wouldn't... It's like, man, I got the splitting fucking headache, but there's a six hour cooldown period. <laughs> that, that would be ridiculous. But uh, what, what I thought was interesting, though, is, is the fact that integrated into the gun is is some means of making sure that he's the only one that can use it. Yeah, so this technology is actually, I guess, in the process of being developed for a few years at least. It's been developed. It has been around for uh, over a decade. Really? Has it been that long? But like, it's not very good. Actually, it works fine. Here's the problem, is that there are... And this starts to get a little political, but let's just let's keep it just from a, a, a how this relates to the story perspective. There are laws that say that... When this kind of technology hits the market, then that becomes a standard that the government will hold guns to. So New Jersey is a good example of that. There was a, a law in place that said when this kind of technology comes out, that that's the technology that would then be required as a standard for guns going forward. 
So there was huge lobbying efforts to prevent this technology from being integrated. So there's the rumors that, oh, it's not very good, or, oh, what if the battery dies on it, or, you know, any number of things that prevent the regulation of the use of a gun. The, the, the general gun lobbying right now is that there should be absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing that regulates the use of a gun or anything that could potentially go on a gun. That is the larger scope of the gun lobbying effort. No regulation that people should be free to use guns, period. And even if you wanted a gun that would register thumbprints, it would be very difficult to find. So this rumor that, oh, well, the violentness of the gun actually jars the electronics or some bullshit like that, that's all crap. That's garbage. That's, this has been dealt with in the past. And uh, the problem is, is that it's just not marketable. So if you came out with a firearm that you know could register that, it's very difficult to sell because it's immediately considered a threat against the rights of people who want to own and use firearms. That it, it's seen as a regulation. And there are, you know, there are companies that have tried selling it that have received threats as a result of it being perceived as a violation of their right to bear arm freely. So it's not that the technology is bad or that it's still in development. It's been developed for decades. It's a thing. I know it's a thing. I remember reading an article some years ago about it, how there was some independent testing and it wasn't very good. Well, it's it, there are a number of companies that have tried to come out with it. The biggest problem is that if you can't market it, if you can't sell it, if no one will carry it to sell it, then it does you no good. And more importantly is that the research for it halts. You know, if there's no reason for it to be used, if, you know, it, then there's no reason to research it further. So it's been blocked by, uh, you know, a number of efforts, both, you know, grassroots marketing and from a political level and a number of other things. But I myself think something like that is perfectly fine. I have no problem with me being the only one or my wife and I being the only one to, you know, register fingerprints on a device if so that it can be used by the right people. And that's a, a personal preference. And, uh, and the way that our culture sort of celebrates war and death. And I, this is not a judgment. Like, I shit you not, I'm coming off. I'm saying this hours after playing Battlefield Five, which is a World War II first-person simulation where I take great pleasure in killing virtual characters on screen that are friends of mine, right? Uh, and, and this sort of social fascination with uh, power, and power in the form of weapons and explosives, uh, and and just sort of the the awe and and fascination with the immediate combustion and effect. There's just something thrilling about that that I find, and the smell of gunpowder. Exactly, but the fact that this dystopian world allows you to just kind of go and order up a gun. At least you know it makes it so that it's registered specifically, not registered, but that it's connected specifically to you. Well, that and you can just walk in there and you can get your your flak vest. You can get your mace. You can get your ammo all in one shot. I mean, that's one-stop shopping right there. And that makes sense, too, because if you're in a dystopian world and you need to take a cab out of town, and we already know that the scene out of town is that, you know, you take a bus, buses get raided, that, that people would be regularly armed is not surprising. So regarding this gun that Parzival buys, is this Chekhov's gun? Cute. And yes, we've mentioned Chekhov's gun like in two previous episodes, but this is so literally that. Like he spends three paragraphs talking about buying the gun, looking at the gun, registering his fingerprints to the gun, the type of gun, 
you know, how it feels in his hands, how it instinctually feels right because he's been using guns in the Oasis. He spends a lot of time going over this gun for it not to be used later. It's not quite the amount of time he spent writing about masturbation, but it's getting fucking close. It's pretty darn close. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, like, there's something to note here, that he holds the gun, and although he had never held a gun before, that VR had sort of trained him up, that he had felt a gun in his hand before in the VR world. And this is an interesting thing as well, because uh, that VR could be a substitute trainer for reality is a, is a fascinating thing to ponder over. Like, how many things could you get good at without actually doing because again it's a simulated environment and that he could get good at firing a weapon that the weapon could be simulated well enough in vr and that it could feel like a weapon in your hands with the gloves on giving you some resistance to the grip and the hold and maybe even the kickback that maybe you could be familiar enough to be fairly good but like how could you potentially simulate that in the Oasis and get the same feel because he might say, well, it feels like other pistols I've held, but first off, you've got that shock of decibel range that that explosion causes. And that, that alone, if you're not ready for it, if this is the first time you've fired anything can be rather surprising. And then you, of course, you've got the kickback of the firing throws you a bit. He said that his suit could simulate a gunshot to make it feel like, or he said that when it simulated a gunshot, it felt more like a weak punch. But I thought that was like if he got hit by a round, not actually firing a round. Well, yeah, but but my point is that if that's how they simulate being hit by a gunshot, mm-hmm. I can't see them accurately portraying kickback off of even a relatively weak firearm. Because I mean, he was talking about the waterfall mm-hmm. when he was in the Temple of Syrinx. And mm-hmm. how it felt not so much like a bunch of streams of water hitting you, but more like being hit by a bunch of sticks. Right. It's just, it doesn't sound like where the haptics are right now that it would be able to a- accurately do that. Like it might flick your wrist a little bit because it just seemed like kickback, but it's not going to do uh, what you and I both know as a, a fairly reasonable kickback on most firearms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that's with the best rig. He had the top of the line, right? Pretty much. So even the top of the, even the top of the line, he's saying, eh, doesn't quite simulate it exactly. And on top of that, here's another thing: like if you're in a first-person shooter kind of situation, and you need to actually fire at people, and there's the potential that you could die in the Oasis, right? You would lose, you know, to, to quote the movie, all your shit, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You don't want something that is distracting. You don't want something that would be a disadvantage to you shooting someone. And right now, if you were to use a... Yeah, yeah, like, like they do in most of those first-person shooter games. Like you see the gun flip up from the kickback, but you don't you don't feel it, especially if you're on your Xbox or whatever. Right, but you don't want to... But, the, you know, it, I would turn off the feeling if it was me against someone else, because I want that advantage. It's certainly not going to get you closer to the egg by feeling it. No, no. Well, that end, it's not going to... I think it would be a, a hindrance to you basically saving your life. Yeah. I'd be like, fuck that. I want, I want every advantage I can get. So even having a... When it mentions in here that, you know, it, it's familiar in his hands... Because he had used it in the Oasis, it's kind of like, mm, I don't think so. Yeah, not quite the same. But again, just to circle back to the book, they focus on it quite a bit. And this is quite literally Chekhov's gun. Like, I didn't even think about it earlier when we had mentioned it in previous episodes. But that's what this is exactly. Because just as a spoiler, 
this is the last time we talk about this damn gun. Yeah. And he focuses a lot on it. And it's just kind of like, it's like, oh, okay, well, we know a lot about this gun. Maybe that means something, but no, not not so much. If I were to try to figure out a way to justify its existence, it's mostly to show his level of paranoia. And right. that's about it. But in the sense of the Chekhov's gun trope, yeah, it doesn't come back again in a substantive way. Right, right. It doesn't. It doesn't. And then we spend a lot of time detailing over something that is not relevant beyond this point, which he could have just said, and I stopped by and picked up a gun that had a 24-hour wait period, and I pocketed it, and I po- and I threw on my vest. Like, we didn't get into the fucking vest. It was just, you know, bulletproof vest. Got it. Check. And then it was gun. And then we went into the details of the gun and how it felt in each hand and how it was registered. It's like, well, well, why is that relevant? Yeah, and I'm sitting here wondering, how did he even buy this thing without a permit? I can see that. I can totally see that. Like, the government sucks at this point. So regulation at, at a higher level organization-wise, I could kind of see. Like, if businesses are kind of running the show right now and there isn't, you know, police are kind of owned by the businesses and there's lawlessness between cities, I get it. I need to try and make a trip out to the, the countryside. Better get a gun. I get it. You know, and then there's regulation at a very localized level, which is the gun turns on in 24 hours. I get it. There's a timer. Easy to put in the gun. And it's mapped to your fingerprint registration, you know, within the gun. Totally get that, too. We have that technology in our phones now. But it's all sort of regulated within the device. And it doesn't require the government to regulate beyond that point. I was just checking out uh, on the inner tubes. Apparently, Ohio is a traditional open carry state, but you I think you still need a permit to carry concealed as of today. Right, right. There are, I believe there are a lot of states that are like that, but, but Ohio specifically because he's in Ohio in the book. Mm-hmm. I get you. So grabs his weapon, grabs his mace, and grabs his black vest, and then makes his way off to... Le plug. The, say that again. Le plug. Le plug. Is it literally called a plug? <laughs> it's the it's plug. Like, it's cause... an internet cafe. Oh, oh, okay. All right. It was like le plug. I was like, wow, they churched that shit up. I missed that. Okay, the plug. And I- I'm going to be honest with you. So the, the description here is pretty um, moist. Moist. People hate that word, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Nougaty? Soft, chewy center. So, uh, what? It's 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 if you, if you could imagine a description for this place is moist in the worst way. Sticky. Yes, sticky. Like I don't like. I'm gonna throw these shoes out when I'm done. Yeah, like this is just the shadiest of shady places. This is not just an internet cafe because you're going into a ten by ten room that has a chair in the middle. He goes in and it's a by the hour. So this is just getting seedier and seedier. By the moment. Have you seen the movie Clerks? I'm sure you have. I Yes, I have. Absolutely. Nudie booths. Nudie booths. Yes. That's what this felt like. This felt, this felt like, this felt exactly like that. And the guy with the pointed teeth is the jizz mopper. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It definitely Moist. felt like that. Like it's, it's, it's by the hour. You know, the only thing really technical here is he's like, you know, he's ordering it like a car wash. I want the Mondo digital stream. <laughs> the Mondo package. The Mondo package. And a fat pipe connection. And the fat... Oh, God. Oh, I didn't even think about that until you just said it. That's just so... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go into the pay-by-the-hour chair rig, and I want the fat pipe. Yeah. 
just to make sure it all fits data stream. in. Oh my god! Can we talk about the fat pipe connection for a minute? Sure. It, it's not gross, I don't think. Well, I guess a fat pipe could be clean. He gets this fat pipe connection so we can upload all that data. Right. He has ten zettabytes of data. Uh huh. So that's a shit ton of data. That's a shit ton. That yeah. might actually be yeah. the technical term, shit ton. So I actually remember having read an, a post on Reddit about this exact thing from the They Did the Math subreddit. And it was about the 10 zettabytes of data from IOI and about how long it would take to actually upload it. So I went and I looked for it and found it. And to give you a quick little summary, the author of the post was saying at this point in time, the average internet upload speed is 11.3 megabits per second, if you're lucky. Okay. So if somebody is going to upload at a constant rate of 11.3 megabits per second, how long would it take for 10 zettabytes to be uploaded? So if you do the math, it's 28 million years. Uh, wow. And Parzival uploads it in three hours. So here's the interesting thing. Um, do you remember what the date was for the Reddit, Reddit post that you put in there? I can actually open the link right now. I'm willing to bet that the post is going to be... Three years ago. Okay, that's not what I was thinking. All right, three years ago. So as of 2017, the average upload speed in the U.S., let's just say in the U.S., was 22.79 megabits. And that's quoted across a few resources. So in a few years, it's it's doubled. I think that... Once we switch to a, a system of internet connectivity that is speed of light, like that's the constant versus over wire, which is what we've got now, it'll increase considerably. I, I say think, but you know, it, it definitely will. Like we've, depending on the connection we're talking about, it's already speed of light. Like we've already we've already got you, you can already get a, a fiber connection. But part of the problem also is that you've got a high download speed because a majority of your your stuff that you're doing online is pulling data down. A far lower amount of work is data going up. So it's also about the systems in between processing what's coming in versus pulling down data. So the average speed, for example, in the U.S. is 64 megabytes per second. And right there you that's see that's... a little faster than 11. Definitely faster than 11, but oftentimes your upload speed is far lower than your download speed. So I think 22 is is really optimal. Like that's right now. That's you know for somebody who's just using a regular sort of broadband cable connection kind of situation. That's that's optimistic to to get that consistently. I pay FiOS a lot of money for guaranteed better than that. I don't even get that that often. It's it's interesting that they they put that at three hours. And had I seen that sooner, I would have kind of done a quick calculation. We could have figured out what their bandwidth looks like. And just just to break this down, so a terabyte is equal to a thousand and twenty four gigabytes. And just to give an example, a movie might be two to three gigabytes. There are a lot of video games that are out on the market today that are in the 40 to 60 gigabyte range. So one terabyte being 1,024 gigabytes, a petabyte is equal to 1,024 terabytes. An exabyte is equal to 1,024 petabytes. And a zettabyte is equal to 1,024 exabytes. So that is a, a shitload of content. Yeah, the this post says, based on a particular video format that takes up 111 gigs per minute of video, mm -hmm. it's something like the equivalent of 170,000 years of video. 
It's a lot. So my thinking is, though, you know, how fast is that exactly? That's fucking fast. I want that internet speed. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, is, but is is that speed even attainable? I mean, three hours to upload, not download, but to upload that amount of content. That's huge. I mean, that's that's uh, that would be I, I would even wonder if there'd even be a format to, to handle that amount of data in such a short period of time. That's a shit ton of data. So Iowa is going to have that much quantity of stuff on holiday? Well, uh, you know what, though? I... The only way it's coming close is if they're basically screen capping every fucking thing that they do. Well, that's true. But first off, if they're saving everything that they get for people coming in, I mean, th- if they own the networks, imagine that they are, you know, whatever service you use, and they are recording everything that's coming and going on that service. Like, they may not be the Oasis, but they are the connection to the Oasis. So they're able to capture all the data in between. And that's how we know what they know about all the players in the game. Yeah, but we're talking about isolating the information just on Halliday. Right. Could you imagine that much amount of data on one person? Uh, I could imagine. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I could. I mean, in this day and age, it's all about the data. I mean, it was started with cloud data. And then we're going to data lakes, not big. We're going from big data to data lakes. Eventually, it'll be data oceans. But the collection of data is the hoarding of power. I mean, the more data you've got, the more potential power you have over predicting people, over knowing about people, over being able to leverage information over people, over making decisions about people. Data is power. The more data you've got, the more you can sort of leverage and do something with that. So it wouldn't surprise me at all that a company like that would have a gargantuous amount of data on any given person. And that since Halliday in this realm and in this universe is talked about everything about the Oasis, other than what people have created and put into the Oasis beyond Halliday, is Halliday. So a huge portion of the Oasis and what people do in the Oasis is Halliday. You know, when a person goes to the planet, any particular planet that Halliday had written into the system... Any activity that would do with that planet, I would imagine, could be collected and used and saved. Like that would be some some a series of holiday specific facts because they're interacting with shit that he created, and that there might be a potential clue or, or a hidden nugget of information within a- any of those activities. So it doesn't surprise me that it would be that much content because really the only limit to the content that can be collected is what people are willing to give you and what you have access to, and then how deep do you want that access? But your biggest limitation then is just how much you can store. I'd say a majority of companies that are collecting data aren't leveraging that data because they've just got so much, and the field for procuring that data is evolving. I understood all those words. Oh, good. Oh, good. The gist here is, sure, uh, you could you could throw around a term like zettabyte about a particular person in, in this period of time, and, and that wouldn't seem outside of the realm. Okay, but do you think a zettabyte is fitting on something that's flash drive sized? Or do you foresee that being the case in another 20-something years? I think the way the technology is increasing, if it continues to to double and and as we reach those barriers where we are challenged to store data and then we're breaking those barriers so we you know you hit a glass ceiling which is you can only sort of go down to a certain level of size atomically before you run into problems storing and reading data and and, and changing data right you know you reach a size ceiling 
But when you start thinking three-dimensionally as far as data is concerned, when you start thinking of different paradigms for storing data, when you move beyond a sort of zero and one reality and move into other bit values that you could additionally store data with, uh, yeah, I think it could potentially be possible. But you know what, though? When we started talking about moon travel in the uh, 60s, people began selling tickets to go to Mars and to go to the moon in the 60s and 70s. Like they were creating companies and they raised money by selling tickets. And there were predictions that in 30 years, everybody would be taking vacations to the moon. And look where we are now. We're not doing that. We're nowhere near that. Mm. We're just, we're like reinventing the same fucking rocket ship in order to go into space. You're like, oh, look, that looks like an Apollo capsule with iPads. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're doing, right? So, you know, it's one of those situations, like if there isn't a demand, it won't evolve fast. If there's not a demand to go to the moon by, you know, people willing to put up the money to do it, then it's just not going to, to happen. But here you've got high demand in the book. You know, people's lives are wrapped around the Oasis. So the demand for greater technology would surge technology. So, yes, I could totally see the possibility that technology would advance far enough that that amount of data would be leveraged. And frankly, as the demand goes up, when new technology comes out, then the people that are writing software make their software bigger. You know, like we can do more because the resources are more flexible and memory is cheaply available. So video games that I had that used to go on two floppy disks, and we were talking about a couple megs worth of software. Now I'm playing games that are 40 and 50 gigs, and I don't think about it. I don't even blink because it's like all the maps and shit. You know, 40 or 50 gigs is just the snap of a finger for one video game. Amazing. Yeah. It, 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 fuck, yeah, this is really freaking amazing. I mean, that's the gargantuous amount of space in just 30 years. So... To answer your question in short, yeah, I think it's believable. I think the speed of uploading that data, of that amount of data, is questionable. Now I'm kind of like, I couldn't even imagine. It would have to be a fat pipe. Had to be a fucking huge-ass fat pipe. Like a your mama so fat pipe. Yeah, yeah. And and keeping in mind that the download speed, if it, if it's staying traditional, would be three times faster. Which means that you wouldn't necessarily need to... We had this. We had an episode where we talked about the technology involved in distributing the Oasis, and that it was a distributed network, and that the Oasis was partially stored on everybody's system, and as a result, you were connecting to local people's connection to the Oasis to kind of sort of crowdsource. You were borrowing processing power. Yeah, you're crowdsourcing processing power. And it seems like that's a weird... If you have that kind of connection speed, you don't have to crowdsource processing power. Or... At the very least, it'll, it would certainly allow you to. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like, yeah, okay. I could kind of see that. I don't know. It's When we start getting into the technical stuff, that's where things get fuzzy because it's hard to tell how things will evolve and what new technology will make something quicker or cheaper. But it just seems like if there was that much speed, you wouldn't need to crowdsource processing power because you could connect to a central system, which is easier to manage, I might add. And, you know, there would be nearly instantaneous as far as the communication. Like you might crowdsource processing power locally because connection to the Internet would be a little bit shadier. Does that make sense? Yeah. No matter how you slice it, it's it's really, really fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's incredibly fast. But anyway, let's get back to the book. Right. Let's get back to that. Let's get back to that fat pipe. Oh, yeah. So he, he's he's in he's in the shady the the, the shady. The plug. 
the shady oasis parlor pay by the hour parlor it's parlor yeah i guess that's the best way to put it it doesn't even just describe how shady it is in the sense of the guy that he's dealing with and and kind of this pay by the hour feel like some seedy motel he even says any bodily fluids like spit or cum or blood you know, that it's going to cost you extra. You know, that's that'll be your deposit. And you're like, you know, we didn't have to go there. We kind of assumed that that's what would end up happening in some of these rooms. But more importantly, would you want to get into a chair where it's so frequent that it's part of the normal conversation between you and the service provider? Yeah, not really. No, <laughs> not even card with plastic wrap or towels. No, thanks. Yeah. Anyhow, so he goes, gets the equipment, buys the 10 by 10 room. He's moving on up. He was in a moving on a up. three by three by six room. Yeah, now he's in a 10 by 10. Ed connects, and the first thing he does is he sends off his data to the news, and he sends out emails to Artemis and H and Daito. No, he doesn't send it to Daito because Daito's not there to respond. You're right. That would be, uh, <laughs> sends it to Shoto. <laughs> particularly the content about Daito. So, yes, and and of course, they're wondering what the hell's happened to him. And we end this chapter with him saying, you know, to all of them, you know, this is kind of the, what he's done to an extent, but that he needed to get together with them in H's basement to chat further and that he had some good news. And, and I thought this was a particularly creepy note, was that he tells Artemis, I think you look even more stunning in person. Aww. It's like, yeah, you didn't need to do that. I, I, I'm sure that to somebody that seems flattering, but doesn't that seem like it crossed a line? Like, how could you? Yeah, it's... Could you imagine if, if how, how creepy would come off to the, to the ladies in the crowd if some guy you'd never met and you had no pictures on Facebook, let's say, there was just, just your avatar, and then somebody you'd been talking to and maybe kind of liked came back and said, you look even more stunning in person. Like, what the fuck? He'd have been better off not saying anything. Even if things were going great with them and they hadn't had this little tip or they weren't speaking. Right. Could you imagine the loss of trust if suddenly like, you know, like they're going to the rock or picture show and whatever. And it's like, yeah, so I took, I stole this file from IOI that had your picture in it. And by the way, you're beautiful. Like that's just not going to fly. Well, I think it comes off as stalkery. Yeah. Like, like even if, even if there hadn't been lines crossed between the two of them for him to have, sort of snuck a photo or a shot of her and then to come back and say, oh, by the way, these guys are after you. They want to kill you. You should go away now. Oh, and by the way, you look really pretty in person. And by the way, that's going right in the spank bank. It feels like a line is crossed there. Like I get he's trying to say, look, I know you're insecure about how you look, but I think you look beautiful in real life. Intuitively, you kind of know he's certainly not meaning for that to be the case. He's trying to say to her that... That she's wrong. Yeah. He's trying to say he's trying to say whatever you think is wrong is not wrong. He had the best of intentions, but this goes back to his lack of understanding the people. Right. It's not going to fly. Yeah. Yeah, that's just that's that's kind of to me I was like that crossed kind of a weird line. He'd have been better off pretending like he didn't see it, sending it to her not acknowledging it, and then hope that she doesn't ask about it until, like, actually, like, if they were to meet in person and then be like, oh, my God, you're beautiful. Like, it was a surprise. Kind of like we were saying before about, like, the Port Weinstein being like, oh, really? That's that's all he had to overcome? If he was to actually just kind of see her and not have any time to, like, really think about it, like, have a chance to convince himself, mm -hmm. then it would be more genuine. 
Yeah. P.S. I think you even you look even more beautiful in real life. Yeah. 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 I I, I get it. It, it. First off, he's saying, look, you're wrong about your insecurities, which, you know, I don't think anybody really wants to hear in a moment where they're also being told that they need to leave home and that they're being hunted by a huge corporation. When has anyone ever told you, don't worry about your insecurities? And then suddenly you're like, oh, you know what? I'm no longer insecure about that thing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. And then there's sort of that breach of privacy. Like, like, well, Jesus, what pictures have you seen? Like, if they're spying on me, what have they seen? Do they have cameras in the bathroom? You don't know. So what the hell has he seen? Yeah, I, I understand that, but I don't fault him for verifying the data. <laughs> no, but you might, like, approach that in a more subtle way. Well, he should have either not mentioned it or been much more sensitive in the way he brought it up. Yeah, to me, it's kind of like a, an in-person or maybe in VR kind of situation. Like, look, you know, going through the files to figure out that you were in danger, you know that I had to have seen pictures of you. And by the way, I think you're beautiful, regardless of what you think about yourself. I think having something off to the side, not in an email and in person and saying, look, I, I didn't want to breach your privacy, but understand that it, it kind of happened as I was discovering whether or not you were in danger. You know what I mean? Like that kind of requires some some ramp up explanation. Yeah, and don't mention the fact that you've already stained the, the haptic chair at the plug. Yeah. Yeah, no. No, no, no. Yeah, it, like it could have been dealt with better. It's just it's just awkward, just strange, you know. It, but it, this is kind of on par for Parzival communicating with Artemis. Well, yeah, he still doesn't really know what the hell he's doing when he comes to talking yeah. with, you know, with girls or really anybody. <laughs> just humans. People. People in person. <laughs> right. Dogs, I'm sure. So we've rounded out this chapter. We're going to put our tinfoil hats on. What were some of the tinfoil hat moments that you found within this chapter? And I know that there's some deep digging for this particular chapter. Yeah, this required a lot of deep digging. And frankly, there's not a lot of tinfoil hat stuff. But I did find some interesting things. Okay. So he talks about that store Threads, which is on High Mm -hmm. Street near the OSU campus. The arcade that we met up at after the Ernest Klein event was on north high street in columbus mm-hmm. okay so i was okay. like we've kind of been there okay so it's at least he's at least referencing some locations in ohio that would make sense yeah and yeah but nearby there's a neighborhood called tuttle park which reminds me of harry tuttle from the movie brazil in this chapter okay because so i don't think it's related i just thought that was kind of also, somewhere on the OSU campus, there's a William G. Lowry Department of Chemical and Biomolecular Engineering. It's spelled mm-hmm. differently, but Lowry and Sam Lowry, also from the movie Brazil. Gotcha. Okay. Again, not at all. That That is a long piece of yarn, dude. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> a long piece of this yarn. This is more like, look at this coincidence. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Okay, I get you. All right. So then I was trying to, the Mondo upgrade package that he got at the plug, I was trying to like, what the hell is it? What's Mondo? Mm-hmm. Is there anything in Mondo that could be taken? I didn't really see much of anything other than where the word is actually derived from, which is, it means world in a couple of different languages. There was also a beta build of Microsoft Office called Mondo. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I got nothing. I, I've seen Mondo used in a number of places, but the, the definition is to mean very striking or remarkable. So 
there was a there's a website called Mondo Shirts, Mondo Tees. Oh, that does sound familiar. Yeah, Mondo Tees. I remember that. Mondo Tees, and they my was one of my favorite places to go because they sell posters, and they sell these really unique posters for movies. So you get these these various artists that do these huge limited edition posters geared around different movies, and it's and I've actually bought a couple, and they're they're really super cool. But again, a lot of times it's very limited edition, limited run print kind of situation. But just the word Mondo itself just it means remarkable, striking or remarkable. So I've seen it used a number of places. There was even an online, well, it wasn't a cartoon, but it was um, like a digital cartoon, I guess is the best way to put it. Well, most online cartoons would be digital, but it, it, but it was uh, Mondo something. God, I don't remember, but it was like 15 or 20 years ago. And uh, and they had a number of of online sort of digital cartoons that people had created, and we can cut that whole fucking part out right there. Yeah, good plans. <laughs> Not enough detail to make it worthwhile. Yeah, I. That's the end of what I found in my deep digging. It was not quite as fun as the last chapter, but you know, I tried. Yeah, I put it put it out there for any of the listeners. You know, for chapter thirty one, is there anything that you guys found that 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 jumped out or that we missed? I always feel like there is something that was nested that that I missed over completely. And this is one of those chapters. Like again, it's just it's just five or six freaking pages, but occasionally there is something and that that it just hits us from a different direction and and that I completely overlooked that somebody else is able to dig up and and present. So, if you found something in chapter 31, let us know and we'll mention it in the next episode. Yep. Sounds like a good plan. All right. So, let's wrap up this chapter. We end with Parzival entering H's basement with all of the members of the High Four. The surviving members of the High Five. <laughs> the surviving members of the High Five now present. And uh, I, I just imagined going into this with like him entering the room, seeing these faces that he hadn't seen for chapters, and then the door closing behind them. And you know that what they're going into with those looks on their faces of both, you know, concern and some degree of, of shock, but, you know, ready to begin planning. Uh, and then, you know, the door closing on this chapter. It, when I reached the end of this chapter, I was really just ready to jump into the next one. I don't know how you can't be. I mean, it's, yeah. If you weren't already off and running before, you are, and I say this every chapter now, you certainly yeah. are now. This is your trope. <laughs> At the end of the chapter. I need a new line. It's just just excited to get into the next chapter. I get it. So and the thing is, like, you get to this point and you're you're excited to get to the next chapter, but you're also sad because you know there's only so few left. True, true. We're counting down now. We're we're eight away. But the nice part here is that things start to really ramp up. And I think this was possibly the last of the. I don't want to say boring chapters because we actually we had a couple points here that I I really enjoyed talking about, but it, this is where things really start to cook. There are, there aren't many point A to point B chapters from this point going forward. True. Yeah. The last time we had this was when he was taken to IOI and when he left the stacks to go to Ohio. Like those were those were like point A to point B chapters, and I think this is the last one before we we get to the end. The end. Uh-huh. The end. So, all right then, you ready to wrap it up? I think we can wrap it up. Well, then let's do that. All right, so this is Chris. And this is Aaron. We'll catch you in the next episode of Get to the Good Part. Excelsior. Excelsior.
you know where the term Zeta came from, Zeta Bytes? Catherine Zeta-Jones? Yeah, exactly. It's basically uh, when you take all of the pictures of Catherine Zeta-Jones that's on the internet and you sum all of that up, which they have done, they took that gross amount of pictures of Catherine Zeta-Jones and they turned that into said, this is a Zeta Byte. I think that's about right. Yeah, yeah. 